Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Welcome to Authentic Living. I'm Andrea Matthews, your host for this series, in which we're talking with the spiritual giants of today to assist us in exploring discovering and explaining together the path to and the meaning of the authentic life. Today we're talking to Neil Donald Walsh, who has impacted the entire world with an amazing and lengthy public conversation with God. That process, which includes the authoring and co-authoring of 23 books and several video and audio programs, has served to raise the consciousness of the world to the level of a spiritual renaissance. And Today we're talking with Neil about the nature of the soul, Neil, welcome to Authentic Living, and thank you for agreeing to talk with us today because we're going to be having a conversation about some of the hard questions regarding the nature of the soul. Well, thank you very much, Andrea. It's lovely to be here. Okay. Well, let's just jump right in there then. Can you define the nature of the soul from the perspective of your conversations with God? Well, I think that uh, it's important to understand uh, that the soul is an individuation of divinity. So let, let me begin by saying that my understanding and my awareness is that the soul is one part of our three-part being, that we are, in fact, as many people have already understood, body, mind, and soul, or body, mind, and spirit, if you will. But having said that, I'm not sure that uh, the largest number of people have made the connection between part three, body, mind, and soul, between the soul and what we call in our uh, culture, God, or Allah, or Yahweh, or Brahman, or Jehovah, or whatever other term we, it pleases us to use to refer to that ineffable essence that we call divinity. So my awareness is that not only are we three-part beings, body, mind, and spirit, but that the spirit or the soul of us is, in fact, that part of us that is closest to and that most closely resembles, in fact, not just resembles, I should say really duplicates in miniature form that which we call God. So the soul is a miniaturization, uh, or if you please, an individuation of divinity itself. I like to say that the soul is the singularization of the singularity, the singularity being uh, the only thing that is uh, God itself. And if I could uh, offer a relational picture of that, it's one that many people have already heard. It's almost become trite at this point, and still as trite as it is, I think it does create a wonderful, clear picture. I like to, uh, I like to refer to the soul as a wave uh, in the ocean of God, so that we see that the wave is, in fact, part of all of that which is. It's in no way separate from the ocean, and yet it is, of course, not the ocean in full, but a miniaturization or a small portion of the ocean that has exactly the same characteristics as the ocean itself. I guess the final observation I'd make in, in this, to this question, uh, Andrea, is that the soul has all the power uh, in proportion to its size, uh, as 
God has in proportion to the size of God, which, of course, is the size of everything. So that the soul is proportionately powerful. And I think that's an important observation to make. People say that the, that, that the man was made in the image and likeness of God, and I think that's true. Uh, and we have the same abilities, the same powers uh, that God has uh, in localized or miniaturized uh, form. We are at the microcosm when God is the macrocosm. And so what that means is that if God is, the, and by the way, I want to make an observation here, if I may, as well, about God. There, there's something interesting with regard to all this, this thing we call God, and that is that all the world's religions agree on what God's uh, definition and role is uh, in the nature of things, which is fascinating because religions in the world don't agree on many things. They disagree on many more things than they agree on, but on this they all agree. I don't know a single, a single religion that does not agree that God is the creator. It is God's job to create, if you please, and God it could be defined loosely as that which creates or as the creator. And in fact, if we are made in the image and likeness of God, which even traditional religions tell us that we are, that would mean that we are the creator as well, and that we and God are creating the exact same thing. That which we call God is creating our reality collectively. We are creating our reality individually, and that's what's going on. That's how I would answer your question. Okay. Well, thank you very much. You know, as you started into talking about God, in your book, Tomorrow's God, you challenge all of us to define God in a new way. And in that book, you tell us that God cares about the outcome of our efforts not more than we do, but as much as we do. How does this relate to your definition of the soul? Isn't that an interesting observation? Uh, yeah, I, I recall when I had that particular part of the conversation, you see, I wanted God to be a creature, uh, an essence, a being, if you please, uh, that uh, cared about the outcome of everything a little more than we did. Right. Uh, and, but, 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 uh, and, that, and in that sense, God could then direct us or guide us or somehow empower us to create the outcomes that God desires. But God was uh, saying to me in that and in other dialogues as well, in all nine of the uh, Conversation with God books, Neil, you, you, you're, you keep thinking separation theology. You, you, you keep insisting on your separation theology that says that I'm over here and you're over there, that God is way up there someplace and we're down here. But if there is no separation, then it would be impossible for God to care more about anything than we care about anything. So God made it very clear to me that uh, God does not care about any outcome any more than we do, since we are that which is doing the caring. Mm -hmm. And so I think that uh, the reason that the uh, world is the way it is, the reason that the earth has turned out the way it's turned out, the reason that life manifests itself in the way that life does, is because it is a constant and continual moment-to-moment -moment reflection of what we think and how we care and what we uh, uh, feel about the things that we're creating. Right, right. So, in essence, what you're saying is we are co-creating. All of us are, that is correct. We're, we're creating both individually and collectively simultaneously. Okay. So, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting uh, collective mix. It's uh, obviously wherever two or more are gathered, there's more creative power. This power, this creative power has been called by many things, most recently, the law of attraction been called by many, many names through the centuries and through the years, and with the advent of the wonderful books of uh, Esther and Jerry Hicks, 
the uh, movie The Secret and other uh, publications, we now are starting to call it the Law of Attraction. It's not a bad name for it because the energy is somewhat magnetic in that it draws to itself energy that is like itself. And so we're doing this both individually and collectively, and there, therein lies the, the, the trick of things, because we uh, individually often think differently than we think collectively. In fact, human psychology tells us that people uh, have a whole different uh, energy mix, a whole different energy signal that is sent to the universe when we're thinking collectively from the one that we do when we're thinking individually in many, many cases. Not in all cases, but in many, many cases. So a mass psychology, for instance, is often referred to by people in the behavioral sciences. So it's pretty well known that we behave individually somewhat differently from the way we behave collectively. And we have to be careful to integrate the two to the degree that we can. And our job as individuals, Andrea, is to ra- it, it, is, it seems to me, is to raise our individual consciousness to the point that it begins to impact and affect the collective consciousness in such a way that the collective consciousness is ultimately raised as well. Right. So that would be the sort of critical mass aspect exactly. of, as we, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if, we, if, if, if enough of us can do that, uh, what I call COIs, centers of influence, such as yourself with this radio program, uh, if there are enough centers of influence who can begin sending out their individual signals in a particular way, uh, then large numbers of people become affected. And, of course, that's all any of the great masters have ever done, whether we're talking about the Buddha or talking about Jesus the Christ or talking about Muhammad or Moses or, or anyone else. Contemporary or ancient masters uh, have done nothing more than what I've just described, impacting the space in which they reside. And, of course, in the time of Buddha and Moses and, and Jesus and Muhammad, there were far fewer people on the earth. So it was somewhat easier uh, to impact uh, a large number of people proportionately. These days, with 6 billion people plus on the earth, we, uh, we are at a, a disadvantage with regard to numbers. On the other hand, we have technologies they never had, such as this technology right here uh, of broadcasting to the entire world, uh, anyone who wants to join in and, and, and tune in. So our technologies kind of make up for our disadvantage numerically. But we're all up to the same thing, and that's the job of every master and every would-be master, is to see if we can't move humanity to a place of uh, a collective consciousness that reaches what you call critical mass, so the first domino can fall and the rest of the dominoes will follow. It is by this means, I might add, that all evolutionary progress in the history of humanity has been made. Okay. So as we're evolving, we're evolving as a collective. Precisely. Very much like the Borg. In the old uh, Star Trek uh, uh, television series and the Star Trek movies, uh, the Borg, in fact, uh, moved through the uh, the uh, life experience of itself as one mind, one mind with very many individuations acting out the collective consciousness. Now, in the uh, in the Star Trek series, the Borg was the enemy. It had malevolent thoughts. But I think that Gene Roddenberry, who created the the Star Trek series, knew what he was doing. He was trying to pit the individual consciousness uh, and the obviously somewhat higher level of consciousness of the uh, people on the Star Star Trek enter- on the uh, Starship Enterprise to the uh, darker, so- somewhat more negative, if not to say evil, energies uh, of the collective consciousness represented metaphorically in the Star Trek series through the Borg. 
And you can recall uh, with the great, great line that the Borg would say to anyone that it was trying to overtake in terms of collective consciousness, which is that resistance is futile. Yes, I remember that. Okay, yeah, and and that brings us to the whole idea of, of oneness, it, and I think it's difficult for a lot of people to understand this concept of oneness when, when so many of us uh, see ignorance and seemingly evil things taking place all over the world, and so it, 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 it's hard for us to conceptualize that the God that we think of as the good God is allowing these things to happen. Can you speak to that? Well, first of all, we should say that oneness does not mean lack. Uh, does, does, does not mean lack of difference. That's the first uh, observation I would make. Yes, it is difficult for people to understand that, unless and until they understand as well that oneness uh, does not mean lack of difference. That oneness can be uh, demonstrated and expressed. Our unity uh, can be expressed in many, many different ways. Even as the fingers of your hand each appear differently and perform, in fact, quite different functions, although they are part of the same body. You could have an infection in your little finger, for that matter, and you could even have an injury to your little finger, and you could even have a part of it cut off or, or whatever, and that would make it no less, if you, had a, if you had an infection in your little finger, that would make it no less a part of your hand. So one would not look at one's own hand and say, oh, I've got an infection in my little finger, so it's not, can't, how can it be a part of me? It can't be a part of me because I'm not infected. Well, in fact, we are. And so uh, the, the name is true about the oneness that we call God. Okay. Well, we've been listening to Neil Donald Walsh on the nature of the soul. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And we'll be right back to talk with Neil Donald Walsh some more on the nature of the soul. Your online community for positive change. Seventh Wave Network. What extremes do you go through just to fit in at work or in your social circle? Give it a thought, an honest thought. Do you dumb down to fit in, maybe exaggerate your story, or do you often play the blame game to avoid responsibility? If any of these rings true for you, then you owe it to yourself to tune in to It's Me with Gina and Val. Join us to hear some funny, sometimes serious, yet always effective truth-telling on ourselves and on you to finally break the chains to become a more authentic human being. It's Me with Gina and Val airs every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. 
So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Awakened Media for a Transforming World. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're talking to Neil Donald Walsh on The Nature of the Soul, and I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. You're listening to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Neil, I'm sure you're aware that you and other spiritual leaders have been criticized for the seemingly blasphemous concept of the self as divine nature. This concept is, seems difficult to accept since from somewhere in the separation or duality concept, we have begun to see ourselves as inherently evil, striving to be good. Can you respond to that? Well, Andrea, I think it's, it's a product of what I call separation theology, a phrase that I turned a, a few minutes ago before the break. Uh, and uh, the, the idea of separation theology is a thought that has been prevalent, really, and that we've shared over and over again, uh, parents telling it to children and children passing it on to their children and their children for many, 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 almost countless generations now. Uh, I do understand how the thought originally uh, arose, uh, and there's a lot of history behind it, but without getting into all of that uh, anthropological stuff, the fact of the matter is that for now many centuries, uh, actually millennia, we have imagined ourselves to be living in a separation theology uh, environment. That is, an environment that says that God is somewhere over there and we're over here. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of question, interestingly enough, Andrea, on the part of people that, that a God exists. Uh, statistics have shown that over, this is kind of startling when you think about it, over 80% of human beings in all cultures, all places on the planet, over 80% of human beings believe in some kind of higher power. Call it what they may, but they have a thought, and quite accurately so, that there's something larger going on than just our immediate lives and our immediate experience. So that's not difficult to convince people about. But uh, the story we've told ourselves, as I mentioned, about that higher power is that it is separate from us. Now, this separation theology has produced a separation cosmology. That is the cosmological way of looking at things that says that everything is separate from everything else, that, that life is, in fact, uh, a, a, a bunch of separate entities or separate packages of energy, if you please, operating independently of each other. 
that separation cosmology has produced a separation sociology. That is, ways of socializing with each other that says, I'm over here and you're over there and you have your interests and I have my interests and if it serves my best interests, I'll combine my interests with yours, but if it violates or opposes my best interests, then I will not combine my, my interests with yours, but in fact I will do what I can to fight your interests to make sure that my interests win. And that separation sociology, I'm sorry to say, has ultimately produced a separation pathology. That is, pathological behaviors of self-destruction, which we can see in our newspapers and on CNN uh, every day of the week. Now, the idea uh, that we have to behave as we do, the idea that we're behaving in ways that are what we would routinely call evil or bad, stems from the thought that we are, in fact, separate from God. If it wasn't for a separation theology, we probably wouldn't be uh, transferring these thoughts and ideas one from the other. But the separation theology has as its root idea, its root thought, Andrea, the idea that God somehow separated us from her or him or it or whatever it is. There was a moment of separation that grew out of, if you please, God's displeasure with us. That, in fact, the idea is that God created something that was imperfect or that somehow became imperfect after God created it by violating some kind of universal law or some kind of rule or regulation, behaving in some kind of a way or another that rendered it uh, impure and therefore unworthy of, of remaining with and unworthy of remaining united with that which we call God, Yahweh, Brahman, Jehovah, Allah, or whatever other name we choose to use. So this separation theology is based and rooted in a thought that we somehow misbehaved or are not good enough for some reason or another to be reclaimed by God in heaven uh, immediately as we are right now, much less at the moment of our death. From that cosmology, Andrea, you asked a very intriguing question. I'm sorry my answer is so long, but this is the long, uh, long answer of it. From that, from that cosmology arose a story that humanity tells itself about itself. And that story is, we've got to work to get back to God. We are unworthy. We were born in original sin, as one theology has it, and we have to somehow do something or another to regain God's favor and to rejoin God uh, in the larger experience that we call uh, after afterlife, or hopefully heaven and, and not hell. But if we don't, if we don't uh, um, earn God's favor, if we don't behave according to how God wants us to behave, then we will in fact be judged and condemned to everlasting damnation. And by the way, if we do nothing, we will do that. That is, if we just do nothing at all, we will be condemned to everlasting damnation because we were born in sin. So our job is to get out of the pickle that we found ourselves in 30 seconds after our birth. Right. That sounds rather impossible. Well, according to some religions, it's not impossible. You just have to do what God wants. Right. And religion exists for the purpose of telling us what God wants. And all religions do that in a wide variety of ways, not the least of which is by creating and presenting to the people its own version of God's Word, otherwise known as Holy Scripture. There are currently 247 known Holy Scriptures on the planet, the most famous of which are the Bible, the Koran, the Bhagavad Gita, the Book of Mormon, the Upanishads, the Talmud, Torah, etc. And there are many, many, many more lesser-known scriptures, the writings of Baha'u'llah, as one example. So there are many, many scriptures that seem to tell us what God wants. 
Uh, I, in fact, have written a book myself by that very title to highlight the irony of all of this. My book is called What God Wants, and it offers some intriguing looks at what the world's organized religions tell us that God wants, and what, in fact, God truly wants, as I understand it. Just another point of view on the subject, but people have told me that this particular point of view is not only intriguing, but uh, enlightening and, uh, and freedom-giving. That is, it is releasing. It allows people to hold the experience of God and of what God wants in an entirely different way. So I think that religions would tell us, uh, Andrea, that it's not impossible to return to perfection. There is a pathway back to perfection, uh, but there is a, a specific series of things you have to do and a whole bunch of things you're not supposed to do in order to get there. Right, right. Ergo, we have, as you said, created these religions to create that pathway back to God because of the original um, distortion. Idea that, yeah, yeah, the original idea that we were separate from God to begin with. Right. If you eliminate the original idea, you see, if, if, you, if you decide, wait a minute, what if we have it all wrong? What if we're not separate from God at all and never were separate from God? then the whole house of cards comes tumbling down, which is why nobody really dares to suggest such a thing seriously. The, the world will entertain these notions academically or as an interesting social uh, uh, expression, of so, social commentary, uh, but in terms of serious theology, serious theology cannot afford to hold as its reality the idea that we are, in fact, not separate from God, because if you eliminate separation, from that which is divine, as I said, the house of cards comes tumbling down. Everything in all of those 247 theologies depends on us imagining that, that there is separation existent as the basic structure of the universe. Now, what's funny about this, Andrea, is that physics, science, uh, and uh, the technologies reveal to us more and more every day that, in fact, there's no separation at all, that all things are one thing, as Carl Sagan famously put it, there's nothing else going on except the real thing expressing itself. Right, and so that harkens back to what you said earlier about God, who is both cause and effect, creator and created, and that the individual life, uh, particularly as it relates to what you said in Tomorrow's God uh, with regard to Barbara Marx Hubbard's concept of the local and non-local self, has to do with that with that uh, supreme connection that cannot be violated or failed. Yes, and of course, if people embrace that thought as a living reality and not simply a conceptualization, if they decided to turn that idea into a functioning reality, not only would their lives change overnight, but the world would change very, very quickly. We couldn't possibly, we couldn't conceivably do to each other what we do to each other on this planet consistently if we ended our thought that we are somehow separate from anyone else. So you can understand that the idea of ending separation is really dangerous uh, to, to most of these structures that our current culture has put together. Not just religion, but almost all of our social systems are based on the idea that we are separate from each other. Our e entire economic system, of course, is based on that. If we thought we were all one and we were all united, we would never, never in a million years allow 400 children to die every hour of starvation. Exactly. Well, we'll be right back to talk some more with Neil Donald Walsh on the subject of the nature of the soul. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. 
Listening on a Higher Dimension. Seventh Wave Network. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T, with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Are you in need of a cosmic kick? Are you frustrated with your ability to move forward in all areas of your life and spiritual growth? Adrian Wentworth is a master at getting you unstuck. A fearless and grounded healer and teacher, Adrian covers subjects that few will touch and reveals the missing keys to your success. Be uplifted by the healing energies that flow through her as she shares her profound wisdom and helps you shift past your obstacles to create the life you long for. Listen to Cosmic Kick with Adrian Wentworth every Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Network. What's this? Milk. Low-fat, no-fat. They're milk, too. And their names rhyme. This man may sound odd. Low-fat, no-fat. But to his three-year-old daughter helping him pick out food, he makes perfect sense. Here's cheese with holes in it. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. Take simple moments like shopping and turn them into learning moments. It's called Swiss. Swiss has holes. That's right. Can you say gorgonzola? Gorgonzola. Turn everyday (laughs) moments into learning moments. Visit bornlearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we've been having a conversation with Neil Donald Walsh, the author of the nine-book series on A Conversation with God. And we're talking about the nature of the soul today. This is Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Neil, we're back, and I have another question about this whole nature of the, uh, the self as it relates, and the soul as it relates to how we live on a daily basis. So many of us think that love is something we do. We think of it only in terms of what we can give, and for some people that means giving and giving and giving to the point of sacrificing big chunks of the authentic self. So I've found through my work that in order for love to be authentic, it has 
first to be received from the local self, which, of course, receives from the non-local self. Can you respond to that idea? Well, you're right. My simple response is you're absolutely right. <laughs> okay. We have to begin, you know, love, love, love like charity begins at home. We have to, we have to love ourselves uh, or we can't even begin our hope to love uh, someone else. A, a, a larger thought that I have on this subject of love, however, is that most people, from my observation, use what I call love and what I call need. That is, people imagine themselves to be loved when their needs, as they, as they understand them, as they imagine them. I, I use that word advisedly, by the way, because we need nothing. The first illusion of humans is need, that the idea that need exists. In fact, need does not exist. Human beings need nothing at all to be perfectly happy. Something that's pretty hard to convince people of, I might add. But, but I don't want to get sidetracked here. The, the, the point that I'm making is that people all of us have a list of things we imagine that we need in order to be happy. I'm not talking about in order to survive. This is, goes way past food, clothing, and shelter. I'm talking about things we imagine we need, and we imagine it pretty strongly that we need. Without it, we can't be happy. Can't be happy. Don't discuss it with me, Neil. I cannot be happy because I don't have what I think I need. This is a, a very common uh, uh, occurrence in the human experience. Now, what happens is we then look for people, or many, many of us do, who can fulfill our needs. That is, people who seem to have the equipment that would be best suited to our needs. And when they meet our needs, we're very, very happy, and we say that we're in love. And we love them because uh, they have uh, served us in that way. And we don't picture it that way, by the way, in our minds. We would never discuss it this way. This is just what's going on although we would use all sorts of other words to describe the relationship. And, and then, of course, but we're not selfish about it. I want to say that we're not, we're not uh, single-minded or selfish about it. We're willing to do the same thing in return. So we look to see if the other person has certain needs that we might be able to fulfill. We feel very insecure if it suddenly turns out that it feels as if we're not fulfilling their needs, that we start getting very insecure and very, very scared about everything. But as long as we're clear that we can fulfill certain needs that we see that they have, then we're pretty much in a power position, or at least feel ourselves to be useful, helpful, and wanted by the other person. So we work on a trade deal, frankly, Andrea, like a lot of nations do with each other. Nations, one nation has oil, the other nation has uh, water or diamonds or minerals or some other kind of resources. So nations trade each other. They work on a trade deal. Human beings do exactly the same thing in large numbers. Uh, I see what you have that I need. You can see what I have that you need. Tell you what. We'll work on a trade deal, and we'll call it love. And on Valentine's Day, we'll look around for the very best card we can find. My dearest darling, my only one, I trade you very much. And I will never stop trading you. In fact, I will trade you until the end of time. But if you stop trading me, that is, if I'm not getting what I need out of this relationship, I'm out of here. And that is the basis of, I'm going to say, probably 80, maybe 90% of the world's love relationships as I observe it. Once people understand what love really is, which was the core of your question, uh, and that love starts at home, uh, then their entire reality around that experience changes. And the miracle of understanding what you've said, Andrea, that love has to start at the local self, loving the local self, and loving all others, once we, uh, the, the miracle of that understanding is that people begin to experience that all the things they thought they needed from someone else, they're perfectly capable of supplying to themselves. Through the divine intervention of that larger source of energy, even I sometimes refer to as God. And that is, in fact, uh, the miracle of 
being loved by God and loving the self. Once we love ourselves enough, we no longer look to the person across the room or across the pillow to somehow give us something that we imagine ourselves to need and not to have. That's, that's what I would say about love. Right, and I, I, I can't agree more. That brings us down to the mundane, everyday experience of living life here on planet Earth, which, as you've uh, referenced, has everything to do with how we experience uh, God and experience is the key. So I think the thing that makes it hard for people to conceptualize the truths of things like the book, like The Secret by Rhonda Byrne and the movie of the same title in which you starred, and the truths of your latest book, Happier Than God, is that it's difficult to distinguish between the ego self that, like a little child, wants candy all day long, and the authentic self, or the I am nature, which is what I call it, whose desires are genuinely self-loving and compassionate towards others. Can you help our listeners bridge that gap? Well, again, you've just done it. You've just done it for us. You've given us the two descriptions right then and there. And I, I would say one more time, I agree with you exactly as you stated it. Uh, the ego is the part of us that imagines that it has needs, that imagines that it's not enough, that imagines that it has to somehow become bigger, better, more, that imagines that it need, that it is not loved, uh, and that imagines that it is something other than what it really is. And the larger part of ourselves is, is the part of ourselves that understands that all that I've just said is the lie or the untruth or at the very least the inaccuracy and that the truth of our being uh, is just the opposite of what I've just stated. Now, the wonderful part about life is that the purpose of life is to allow ourselves the opportunity to express the opposite of our fears. That is, love expressed provides us a perfect opportunity to allow the experience of who we are to flow through us as us out the world at large, not just other people, but animals, even plants, and for that matter, any aspect of life that we see. We are perfectly capable of loving a flower, or of loving the night sky, or in fact, generically, of loving life itself. And when we fall in love with life itself, then we have the richest experience of the kind of bliss that overtakes us when we understand who we really are. Right, so that loving the self is kind of a reception of love from the non-local self? Is that, is that correct? It's a, it's a, um, a recognition. I, I think I would just uh, 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 refine that definition a tiny bit and say it's a recognition of the fact that we are already receiving. It's not so much a reception of the love, but a recognition of the fact that we are receiving it constantly, although we may not be knowing it. And so we may, not, we may either be ignoring it or calling it something else. So I like to say that it's a recognition, that is a knowing again to recognize. I like to say it's a recognition of the fact that not only, not only are we constantly receiving that love from the higher self, but we in fact are the love that we're receiving. That there's no difference between the recipient and the source. That the source and the recipient are one. And that the only time that we have a lack of that experience is when we deny the statement I've just made, when we deny our oneness. Then, if we deny our oneness with the source, then we start looking for the source, trying to find the source. And the fastest way, by the way, to turn that around, people ask me all the time, okay, that's a fair description of the problem, what's the solution? But the fastest way to solve the problem is to not look for the source, but to decide to be the source to be the source for yourself, and then to be the source of love 
or all other people whose lives you touch. In the moment that you declare that you are the source, you experience yourself as that. Something quite miraculous, quite magical takes place. You experience yourself as that, and that experience becomes your reality. Because you've changed your entire perspective. Andrea, perspective creates perception. Perception creates belief. Belief creates behavior. Behavior creates experience, and your experience creates your reality. It's quite as simple as that. Right. So then you would recommend that for somebody who feels um, in a, a um, separated theology, that that person could come to that recognition and, and through this perception they could be, begin to recognize themselves as one with God. Can you say more about how that recognition takes place? Well, sure. Cause someone else to recognize it. That which you experience in yourself uh, will be that which you experience yourself wanting as acquired by causing someone else uh, to experience it. So uh, the fastest way to do that is to just look to see what it is you want to experience and be the source of that experience uh, in the life of another. It's really quite uh, a wonderful, magical thing to do. So if a person is feeling separate from God or from anyone else, the, the, the fastest thing that they could do, the most wonderful thing they could do is just to step out. I tell people, just step out uh, and, in, and allow yourself to be available to others, to life itself, a, a, again, generically, and to all other individuals specifically, and be the source, or to put it in simple terms, give to the other person what you wish you were receiving right now, and you will find that you, in fact, have given it to yourself. And incidentally, I'm a new thought author and a so-called new age uh, philosopher, but you've got to know that this is nothing more than the ancient golden rule. Do unto others as you would have it done unto you. Not because it's moralistically wonderful or spiritually elevated, because it's mechanically efficient. This is the, these are the mechanics by which life works. Life is a mechanism. It is a process. And it works quite like that. What you give to others will be experienced by the self for the simple and clear reason that there are no others. There is only the self manifesting as separate fingers on the same hand as part of the single body that is. Okay, that was, that was crystal clear. Thank you very much. I loved your children's book, The Little Soul in the Sun, Neil, because it not only provides children with a clear vision of themselves, but also just as clearly delivers a message to adults that our walk here on the planet is meant to show us who we are through the experience of darkness. And after the break, I'm going to ask you to say some more about that. Great. You are listening now to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. And we're talking with Neil Donald Walsh on the nature of the soul. The new home for visionary positive change. Seventh Wave Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back thanking me for my concerns and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, 
killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV, cancer, and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Do you ever feel that you would love to have your very own all-knowing guide on tap 24-7? Well, you can. It's called your intuition. Learn how to trust your inner voice. Come and explore with Natasha Rosewood the power of your intuition and how you can use it now to bring more success and joy to your world. Join Natasha on her radio show, Ah, I Think I'm Psychic, and you can be too. Every Tuesday live at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Network. Anything is possible. I begin each day with an intention to be open to guidance, to expect guidance, to trust and appreciate when guidance comes. With these intentions, each day is easier to navigate. Hi, I'm Sonia Choquette. When I decided to trust my guidance and further my education, I chose the American Institute of Holistic Theology, A-I-H-T. with a soulful pathway to deep learning. In my own home, on my own schedule, I earn my Ph.D. in metaphysics. You know, the value of wisdom only grows, and in developing our own gifts, we can help others evolve, too. That's how it works. These self-paced programs in holistic health, metaphysics, holistic ministries, parapsychic science, and holistic theology can embolden your spirit to change the world. And the time has come for us all to do our part in changing the world. So in this moment, call the American Institute of Holistic Theology. The number is 1-800-650-4325. In this moment, visit AIHT.edu. All my love. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're having a conversation with Neil Donald Walsh on the nature of the soul. Neil, just before the break, I was talking about uh, the children's book that you wrote, The Little Soul and the Sun, and I want to ask you a question about that, and then I want to talk to you some about uh, what you've been doing lately, uh, particularly with regard to the Recreation Foundation. Um, the, the, the reason I love The Little Soul and the Sun was because it not only provides children with a, a clear vision of who they are, but it, as adults are reading it to their children, they also get the message that our walk here on planet Earth is meant to show us who we are through the experience of darkness as well as of light. Can you say some more about that? Yes, I think that it's a wonderful book for young people for the exact reason you said. Uh, and the point of the story is that 
it is an illustration of what I call the law of opposites. It's an illustration of the fact that uh, we are constantly about the business of creating contextual fields within which you can, we can experience uh, who we really are. So the book is a delightful, delightful uh, story of the little soul who embarks on the adventure called life and calls into his life what you and I would call darkness or evil. Now, it's easy to embrace in the story because it's a story about children. So the, the only evil is a, another little boy, uh, a companion on the, you know, on the school playground kind of a thing. So it's, but, but it helps to illustrate uh, the uh, whole concept of uh, light versus darkness and what causes uh, uh, you know, opportunity for us to experience ourselves as light, cannot know ourselves as the light, to speak metaphorically until we find ourselves in an environment where light can be seen. That means the darkness. So it explains to children in very simple and clear terms a very difficult concept for many adults to understand, which is why life is the way it is. Okay, so originally then we're, we're, we're a part of our experience here is to understand ourselves in, uh, as a, in a contextual picture of light and darkness. Well, that's right. You see, we're involved here in what I call the realm of the relative as opposed to the realm of the absolute. And the realm of the relative uh, is uh, a place where things exist relative to other things. Tall exists relative to short. Fast exists relative to slow, uh, and so forth. So I think that what we are attempting to do here is to create a contextual field within which the all of us can be experienced uh, through the very parts of us being expressed. Okay. Okay. Well, that explains why we're ha we made this trip to planet Earth in the first place, then. It, it, indeed it does, and that explanation is offered in far more detail and in far more sophisticated terms in the book Home with God, In a Life That Never Ends. Home with God is a, is a description of what happens at the moment of our death and in the so-called afterlife, and it explains in great and sophisticated detail what you and I have been discussing here. Okay. All right. Well, I want to talk to you just a little bit about what you've been up to. Um, I, uh, I'm very aware of the Recreation Foundation, and the theme of that is giving people back to themselves. Um, I love that theme, and of course, I know that you're doing a lot of services through that organization. Can you say some more about what that means to give people back to themselves? To offer them an opportunity to see themselves as they really are. We like to say that if we saw ourselves as God sees us, we would smile a lot. So our job at the Recreation Foundation is to, in fact, give people a new vision of themselves, to expand their thinking, to expand their horizons, to cause them to see themselves in a new way, in a new context, and to understand, understand themselves uh, as who they really are. We do that through a wide variety of means, uh, workshops, retreats, programs uh, of, of many, many different types, uh, video presentations, audio presentations, online courses, uh, and the like. So the work goes on. It really never ends. We have a Books for Friends program that sends books to people who can't afford them, uh, particularly people who are incarcerated, etc. Uh, and we have uh, other activities and outreaches as well that allows us to send this message of who people really are back to themselves. You see, Andrea, life is a process that informs life about life through the process of life itself. And all we're trying to do is embody that and share with people uh, some larger notions about all of it, who we are, who God is, what life is about, and how it all comes together and how it all works. 
people who want more information about that can just go to www.cwg, that's obviously for Conversations with God, cwg.org, www.cwg.org, and it will tell you all about the many programs and learning opportunities and participation invitations that are offered by the uh, Conversations with God Foundation, which is has as its legal name, the Recreation Foundation. And that name came out of the idea given to us in Book One, that the purpose of life is to recreate yourself anew in the next grandest version of the greatest vision ever you held about who you are. Okay, that's a beautiful concept. Uh, you're also addressing the food crisis. Can you tell us about that? Well, as you know, there's a lot of stuff going on here uh, in our world with regard to uh, food and uh, the lack of it uh, on our planet. And uh, what we are trying to do is help people to, uh, to end that crisis. It's not a crisis of supply, Andre. It's a crisis of cost. It simply costs too much for people in countries such as Haiti and elsewhere uh, to buy even a bowl of rice to get, to get food in their stomach. So we have been uh, collecting, collecting money uh, uh, on the Internet to see if we can't solve that problem. And uh, people can learn more about that by just going to the Internet, uh, going to our website, and they can join the, uh, uh, the campaign to help eliminate. We've sent uh, well over $20,000 just in the past several weeks to the United Nations uh, Food Program, which distributes food and foodstuffs to people around the world. Okay. Wonderful gift. Um, and that goes, harkens back to the idea that there is no need, and so you are providing the avenue or the, the, the channel of, of awareness for that through this uh, address of the food crisis. Yeah, exactly. I'm very grateful for your efforts in that direction. Uh, you've also started a blog with just uh, a lot of people that you, whoever wants to write back to you can. Uh, can you say some more about that? Yeah, I have two blogs, one daily blog at beliefnet.com and one blog at uh, the forum, at, which is uh, at uh, my website, which is ndwhome.com, and they can go to the messenger circle uh, and, uh, and get, they can go to the messenger circle and uh, just get on the forum. Uh, and they can check out what's going on there and, and talk to me daily. Uh, we, we interact with people daily on that, uh, on that blog. It's an interactive blog site, not just a commentary site. Okay. Well, you have really impacted the world, Neil, and I am so grateful for your uh, intervention, really, for, the, for, the, for your own spiritual awareness, for the fact that you've shared that with the world, and I am very grateful that you're here on this planet and that I'm getting to talk with you today. Thank you, my friend. It's lovely to be with you. Bye for now. Bye. We've been talking today with Neil Donald Walsh, and his, we so appreciate his gracious agreement to help us explore the nature of the soul. And you've been listening to Authentic Living, sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. I'm your host, Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, when we'll be talking to Joan Borsinko on the topic of spiritual guidance. Bye now, and don't forget, your only job here on this planet is to be fully, completely you. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.